Yes, welcome, welcome, welcome to the show that comes to you once a week recapping the Hollywood week that was. If there's an industry to still recap and getting you ready for the Hollywood week to come, and it's more like the life weird week to come because that's what we've been living through. It is Mike, Mike, and Oscar Weekly, hashtag MMO Weekly, hashtag MMOW. Uh, this is Mike, Mike, and Oscar. I am your co-host, Mike One, coming with you from his abode and his home, his co-host, also Mike. I am vacillating between moments of extreme optimism where I'm <laughs> I'm thinking the best about the world and I have watched some great movies lately and then like I'm going down in the dumps yeah. for the like the rest of the time. I don't know about you, but I'm like so high and low lately. Well, I'm I'm high and low without the highs. So we're pretty similar. I'm like 50% there. Uh, There is reason for optimism with some of these stories as it comes to how this coronavirus is affecting the industry. And that's Mm -hmm. unfortunately still the news of the week, as it will be probably for the next few episodes of MMOW as well. But as the coronavirus prolongs and persists, we do have this ever-changing landscape of Hollywood to deal with. So let's talk about how it's affected Hollywood this week with our News of the Week segment. News, 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 All right, Mike. So like we said, coronavirus is once again the news of the week and the lead story here on MMO Weekly. So the May and June theatrical release schedules have mostly moved off their dates in total, including Wonder Woman 1984 has moved its release date from June 5th out to August 14th right now. In the Heights, Scoob, Malignant, and St. Maud have all moved to TBD dates. Yeah, it was a blow originally to me when the April schedule moved off the board because I was like, all right, this is not going to be two weeks because I was still optimistic back then. But lately I've been thinking, all right, it's obvious that the April schedule is going to get moved. Right. And then I you know, sobered up to the fact that May was going to get moved as well. These seemed obvious, but the June schedule just you know, running for the hills, that scares the crap out of me now that we're really looking at three months of this kind of like China faced and that fucking sucks, dude. Yeah, I wonder what the worry or the primary worry is for studios right now. Are they not going to come back at all until the metro areas like New York and L.A. are totally recovered? Because if that's the case with the state of affairs that New York is in because of this coronavirus, it it could be until July that we start getting new releases, if not August, etc., etc. Maybe they do a slow rollout type thing if the majority of the country has recovered and we just still have these hot zones lingering until the the early summer, midsummer months. Maybe they'll do a rollout and have new movies coming out. Other places in the country that that aren't these um, New York City, even though that's obviously where they probably make the most money in New York and L.A. But, yeah, I I share your concern. I mean, seeing these these later dates get moved, it's it's reason for concern. The bright line I take out of this, though, and if there is one to be held, is that they're not putting Wonder Woman 84 on VOD. They're not even going to try to move these blockbusters to VOD just to see how they do and just to recoup any money they have. So that gives hope to the theater experience, I would think. They're preserving at least the bigger titles so far that have later release dates. They still want to get these into theaters and make money out of theaters with them as opposed to giving them a rental or or a VOD-type release. We haven't uh, been able to get our hands on the, the hard numbers for all these VOD premieres yet. 
I do think that they recognize what the ceiling is and the ceiling that they need, especially WB for, you know, Wonder Woman 1984 is in the billions. You know, they want that movie to make 1.5 billion and they expect that movie to make 1.5 billion as a tentpole that they don't have that ceiling on VOD. They know it. They, they absolutely know. And we've, you know, analyzed Blu-ray numbers for years and that's in the, at best, a hundred million dollar range. So they understand that uh, that if you want a tentpole film for your studio, you you got to use the theatrical model, and then that is hopeful for the you know movie going business at large still in terms of uh, you know making a seismic shift towards everything watch at home. You're not going to pay the fifty dollars or the hundred dollars for that night out at Wonder Woman 1984 at home, or you're not going to get an extra four or five people to pay the $20, it's just, it, the numbers just aren't seeming to work like that. So they understand that the money is still putting them out in theaters. And I, I, that is hopeful because we both love the theatrical experience. Yeah, and again, I've said it the last couple times we've talked about this and maybe it'll hold true. Blockbusters especially seem to need the theatrical experience for that exact reason that you just described. So if we do have a changing landscape when it comes to movies that are going to be in theaters, maybe they are more, you know, reserved for the blockbuster experience as well more so than these the the middle budget movies but nonetheless i don't think the theatrical experience is going anywhere for quite some time and maybe also this is the studios kind of paying respect to nato the the national alliance of theater owners that we've talked about yeah how they said you know we won't forget that you put trolls world tour out on vod as opposed to waiting for the theater the theatrical experience Maybe this is the the studios playing nice and trying not to piss off the theater owners and trying to give them do them a solid by moving all these dates. So there is some bright line hope. I agree, and there is reason to be optimistic about the whole process, which we desperately, desperately need right now. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, in a non-coronavirus related maneuver, respect is going to be moved to a Christmas release. So. If it's not related to Corona that this release date's getting moved, does this mean it's just a good movie, Mike? Oh, God, I hope so. (laughs) I mean, we gushed over the Jennifer Hudson trailer for Respect playing Aretha Franklin there. We gushed over the fact that when those pictures went viral, she really looked the part and how that's been kind of what's been happening every year when Tom Hanks is Mr. Rogers, when, when Judy Garland is Renee Zellweger. Those pictures go viral, and then everybody wants to see the performance, right? So now we get this bona fide marquee release date of Christmas, especially in a year where the Oscars are happening later at the end of February. So you got more of a roll up, a ramp up to the Oscars and to the voting periods for the Jennifer Hudson Oscar campaign in the best actress category to really get going. So, yeah, I think this is a great sign for that movie. And I'm a little upset with myself for not having her in my predictions. I truly, I truly had her in my mind going into that project when we did our year in preview and in our 100% accurate predictions episode. She slipped out at the last minute. I forgot her. No, I didn't slip her out. I totally forgot that she was coming out with that movie this year, and it just I didn't write it down. And uh. I, had, I wrote down a hundred movies or a hundred <laughs> contenders for each one of those things. You saw my, yeah. my notes on each one of them. We mentioned maybe twenty or thirty right. for each category, but I totally forgot Jennifer Hudson. And and now I'm thinking, yeah, she's a bona fide contender based on this release. Yeah, I actually didn't. I I, I had her in mind. I didn't include her because I figured some musical is going to be elbowed out just because 
of the year of musicals, but it doesn't make right. sense that it would be her. So upon uh, revision that you're probably right. And we're probably both just dumb. And she's probably going to be nominated for the Oscar for this performance at the end of the day. I stand by. We might be over musical now because of the moving of in the Heights, especially. So now we might be in a situation later this year where we have respect in the Heights and the West side story remake all coming out. Bang, bang, bang in a row, kind of like that. So what we thought was going to be the year of musicals may now be like the quarter of musicals. And right. we're all either going to be singing or losing our minds and singing. Could be a little I, bit of a mu- musical, uh, you know, overdose. I do see an opportunity for In the Heights to do really well, like uh, as a September release. I mean, cause we're looking at the fall slate, right? And you don't have the quote unquote tentpole blockbusters that you've had in previous years with, with Disney in particular. You don't have the MCU movies that are well known. You don't have the uh, Star Wars movies coming out in December. You have Dune. I, I do think that's going to be flooded with with films like In the Heights moving to those points. So I wouldn't be surprised if we hear that, all right, that's coming out either late August, early September, and that's going to have a run. That's going to have a run through the fall. And I think everybody wants to see it, so that would give it a better posturing for the Oscars, no doubt about it. And we, we were struggling with that June release because that's very rare. And i just done all the research on the release dates going into this midweek episode that we got coming up for quarter one. I, I don't think June movies have, 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 have a strong track record so this is going to help in the heights in terms of oscar uh you know contendability no question that's it's interesting that in the heights might be helped out by being moved and yet we talked the last couple years about how the christmas release sometimes hurts films more than helps them films like 1917 kind of play it perfectly but they have to be that strong of a film to begin with to be having the christmas release and have its momentum carry throughout oscar season sometimes christmas is actually too late for the voting process and and now we're talking about this movie uh the Aretha franklin biopic kind of being moved to that it's going to be interesting to see what happens with that well i wrote it down that way because i have definitive numbers now to kind of refute that you know perception in our minds because the perception exists because a lot of those movies come out hot and they've they've been so hyped up for the whole year and we get them so late and we're dying to see them and then they kind of disappoint but in terms of nominations december movies are the strongest by far and i'm gonna go over those numbers in the next episode december releases have historically done extremely well and better than any other month by a lot little women deserved better is all i'm saying i agree with you i agree with you but (laughs) and, and i agree with your point overall i just think i think it's a difference between nominations and wins at the end of the day but then again they they got the highest win total too right so well, it's it's a it's a Darwinism type thing, right? Only the strong survive. Maybe it's just a matter of yeah, a lot of stuff comes out in December, but it's got to be the strongest of the strong is what's going to get recognized anyway. Right, right, right. Anyway, we have another story that I'll throw to you here. China reclosed all movie theaters to recombat the coronavirus, and you kind of called this one. Yeah, they, I, I'm going to sound like a hypocrite here because I didn't mention it at the time, but when we were reporting, whether it was last week or the week before, that China's going to slowly open these theaters, it made no sense to me. We talked about how, why would anyone have the motivation right now, if you're in China, to go to the theater and hang out there? I mean, we, we don't, if theaters open near us right now, we have no plans to go into them anytime soon if they were even open to, for us to go into. So I think this unfortunately makes a lot of sense that they'd reclose like this. My hope for our industry and for the United States in particular, my hope is that uh, the June releases moved off their dates because essentially 
they figured this was going to happen and we'll hit this spot in China where we think we're ready, but we're probably not ready. We think we're ready. I mean, I could totally see the United States making those same mistakes over and again, especially with how our president has been talking about, you know, (laughs) getting back to business, back to our lives as usual when the worst is still yet to come. So. I could totally see us jumping the gun. I think the studios are smart and moving everything. Hell, I think the Olympics were smart and moving to the end of next summer in 2021. So China jumped the gun here. That They understand that, and they they did the right thing by, by closing them down again, Michael. We do have another story about AMC. They they have furloughed its entire corporate staff and CEO during the crisis. We also had a story this morning come out about Bob Iger foregoing his salary at Disney and and many of their executives taking pay cuts. What do you think about how the how business is happening right now on on a macro level? I was in favor of how corporations responded early on to this, which is kind of surprising because I'm not exactly Mr. Corporation, but there's been a lot of them taking heat lately with how they've been reacting to this kind of prolonged downturn of what's going on and the prolonged existence of the Corona scare. And I, I think it's a little, it's starting to get to where it's, it's valid criticism. I, something needs to happen. I know I'm on record saying that over and over again, and I'm going to keep saying it. And a single $1,200 check from the federal government ain't it. That's not the only thing that could happen. I mean, CEOs need to be doing completely without at this point right now. Those that have means need to be cutting back the most. They need to be sacrificing the most because those without means already were the ones showing up to work just to scrape by and try to make ends meet. And now with this economic uh, situation being what it's in, People are completely without, have no means, and, and and they need help. So we need to help out each other. And if, especially if you're a person with means, if you're a, a corporate CEO or a corporate administrator in one of these you know high-paid positions, yeah, at this point, you should be taking no salary or damn close to no salary to help out the lower people on the uh, totem pole in your corporation. At those levels, right? At those millionaire levels, right. you would hope that this is happening large scale and you and hopefully people follow suit and you stories like this typically multiply like once they start coming out at least we've seen that cyclically over the last few weeks so hopefully we do get a lot of these millionaires saying all right rather rather than me taking my salary let me keep instead of furloughing people let me keep an extra hundred people on the payroll that would that would be much better. Yeah. Unfortunately, the disparity between their salaries and keeping that number of people on the payroll is still there. But I won't do the Bernie Sanders rant at this moment. But I, I do. If only I there was somebody this, running for office, Mike, that campaigned on this for years. I do think this is a you know uh, an important story, and I, I hope to see more of it. The Hollywood Reporter, Mike, came out with a uh, kind of an industry look on how this $2 trillion aid package that the federal government is passing and has signed, and we should be all receiving our checks within the next two or three weeks or so, how it will help movie theaters specifically. Yeah, and Trump made NATO happy. Isn't that ironic? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Just based on namings. But I'm relieved that they are relieved. Because we have $454 billion that's supposedly going to cover loans to keep distressed businesses open. So although the timeline is scary, the government did seem to act swiftly enough, we hope in parentheses, you know, to keep the House of Cards from collapsing. I, you know, I'm worried. I'm still worried that this is, you know, these are the economics in April. And right. if this is lingering until June, right. then what do we do? I mean, we've already had a recession a couple years ago. 
you know, or 10 years ago, I guess now. So is our economy strong enough to have to do something else like this again in June or at the end of May? I mean, that's what scares me. Yeah, I think we're going to need at least one more something from the government to, to withstand the next two weeks. Because if you're especially up here in the tri-state area, New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, things are everything that we hear and we see on the news tell us that this is going to get worse in the next two to three weeks and two to three weeks is what we're being told is going to be our rock bottom. So, and and my my God, things are dire right now for the love of God. So imagining that and then having to crawl out of that, just as you know, a society, as an economy, that's a huge, huge endeavor. So I I do think there is going to be need to be at least one more grand offering or, or, or attempt at saving, if you you want to call it that from the federal government to help out the state governments because i know it's again up here in the northeast the hospitals are already getting overrun new york hospitals are close to capacity and close to failure at this point uh yeah. just with what the, and it's going to get worse which is terrifying so i i'm glad that this first handout worked and satisfied the movie industry and i know the hospital industry isn't exactly the movie industry but it is part of the same care package obviously it didn't do enough for every industry. And I think there is, there is reason to believe that because industries such as the healthcare industry exists, the government's going to have to step in and do more. And I'm not an expert and I know nothing about, you know, the the finances of any kind of particular industry other than the movie industry, but that's just living in Connecticut. Those are my two cents. And I wanted to inform the people what we hear on a daily basis who, who may not live up here and may not be hearing these kind of dire straits that we seem to be in. Well, I, I believe in a lot of what you're saying there as well. I, I'm, I'm confused about more of it, the rest yeah. of it, I guess, on a macro level. And, I, you know, coming out of the finance industry where I worked, you know, getting out of college. And th- this scares me because it's not like we, you and I in particular, we've agreed with how the economy has kind of built back up to certain levels of prosperity. <laughs> yes, since then. yes, that's a fair so statement. <laughs> that's what I'm worried about. Like Wall Street's kind of been, you know, a bunch of gamblers and I, we're supposed to trust that everything is, I mean, we, we saw how the markets were going up and down crazy, mm. like just leading into this. So that that's my biggest fear that like May is just going to be nothing but stock market dire, you know, stock market stories that are just dire. I, I, that's what I'm really afraid of at, at this point. In terms of that that uh, long view. Yeah, here's my soapbox and my grand idea. Um, money isn't real. So if we all just agree that prices just don't <laughs> go up and inflation doesn't exist, I think we'll be fine. We just have to get everybody on that page and it'll work itself out. Uh, they need to take their cues from, you know, screenwriters and just invent more sh- fake shit. Right, that, exactly. That more or less. Yeah, just say this is worth <laughs> something else now. I don't see the problem. Uh, nothing could ever go wrong. We'll talk about how this is impacting the wards season specifically for a couple headlines here mike the golden globes have announced that they are going to amend eligibility requirements it will include streaming services films quote may instead be released first on a television format i.e subscription streaming service subscription cable channel broadcast television etc and will still be eligible so there was some talk about the uh, imperative that not only can you go on a streaming service, but you have to be a screaming or a streaming service. A streaming service is what we all have right now. (laughs) You also had to have had plans to be in theaters and you have to be able to prove those plans. I didn't see any of that reading about this particular eligibility change. 
I, I think the Oscars are probably have something like that because we're going to talk about Bad Education on HBO later as an original movie. Mm-hmm. Like, is that all of a sudden going to you know benefit from these new eligibility requirements? Like, it shouldn't. I, I think what is what a lot of Oscar you know stalwarts would say in terms of the uh, the arguments that they just had last year. So I think that's still to come. That's probably why we haven't heard the you know the Academy break their news and change their guidelines quite yet. But I do think this is good. This is good for the industry at large. And it's a necessity because we can't just bar out VOD at this point. It's what we all have to do. Make exceptions to the rule. Have some common sense. And it, and it also helps the theater-going business at large at the end of the day because the studios need to recoup some money on these finished films. Right. They have to. And if it's not a tentpole, I, th- I think they need to just throw them out on VOD if there's not another opportunity in a clogged marketplace this fall to, to re-release it or to release it again. So they need money to keep themselves afloat and to keep things going so that they don't have to fire all their employees. So th- this needs to happen. And something like Trolls World Tour, I hope it's a huge success on VOD. I hope yeah. I hope it works and I hope it props up that studio more than where it would have been. And, you know, maybe it doesn't contend for best animated feature at this point or at least they can talk themselves into the fact that they can they can still do that with this eligibility uh change well i'll tell you this you know who's most excited about this headline michael (laughs) my buddy and future best actor winner pete davidson who's now (laughs) firmly in the running here this year this is gonna happen right me and you pete we did it baby I still think supporting actor for the movie we watched, but uh, if you, he you know, wins, th- if he's nominated for anything, that's a win for us too, isn't it? <laughs> I think the King of Staten Island. I wonder if they put that out for ten dollars because we're going to talk about price points later on. If they put that out for ten dollars, a lot of people might watch that. And I'm still waiting for the indie film hit on VOD. We've seen the kids kids movies have hits. But I wonder if the price points on the other movies aren't, you know, hit worthy yet. But if you put something out for ten dollars that everybody wants to watch and have watch parties for, that might be where it breaks. Where it really that you get a bubble, a financial bubble for everybody watches Judd Apatow's next movie with Pete Davidson. It'll get like the that. yeah, it'll uh, it'll get the bump because it's now got Oscar winner Pete Davidson starring in it, which wouldn't yeah. wasn't the case before. So I'm Plus, all in for that. Plus, we need OSPs in the next two months. I'm looking <laughs> right. at the next two months, and I don't see them. <laughs> right. We were just talking it's about It's all about us here is what we're getting now. We could care less about this. No, obviously, we say that <laughs> jokingly. But we have a couple more headlines to wrap up here. Mike, the 2020 Tony Awards, they're postponed from June 7th. Do they have a date? I, I don't think it's been uh, TBD, right? Right. So I think it's still TBD. I don't know. And we have the Emmys that are still on track for September, but the deadlines for that may be moved as well. I think with the with the Emmys in particular, we might have issues for next year's Emmys because everything's still funneling through at home. But, you know, all of the productions that have stalled and stopped, like we're going to have to have some guests on at some point to teach us about the Hollywood production factory out there and what it means for Oscars 2021 in particular, yeah. 2022, really. You know, so th- I think that's where you're going to see the effect for the Emmys and then, you know, the, the movie industry later on in terms of uh, at least the quality of films and at least the, uh, you know, what's eligible. I and mean, this this is going to be a story we're talking about for the next two years. It just is. Yeah. And you alluded to we haven't heard from the Academy yet as far as any changes being done to uh, eligibility or moving the show or anything like that. But right. if you had to guess 
if they said something, if they did have an announcement, when do you think that they would come out and, and, and give us any kind of look at that? Well, I still think they're debating what they debated last year and how much to, you know, move the line mm. for the exception to the rule that they established last year with the streaming and, and to take that stand for the theatrical experience in many of their minds. So I do think there are some, you know, old guard people that don't even want to make any moves and just say, hey, just move your thing. But then there's there's a lot of people saying, and it's going to happen, that, that, you know, look, you got to give the King of Staten Island a chance to contend for right. Oscars if it comes out in June on VOD only. Right. And you can't, you can't, you know, women in the put, window you know, hold that against. Like that. Yeah. Crip Camp, even, you know, yeah. that was supposed to have a theatrical release, but you can't hold them to that rule if they got to re release the thing in December to nobody going. It's not even going to last in theaters for three weeks. I mean, it might because it's a good movie, but a lot of movies like that won't have a chance. I do half wonder if the Academy is. Obviously, they're not happy with the coronavirus, but I can't think of another word. If they're uh, optimistic about what this is doing to the release schedule, because they're going to once again get a loaded back end of the film release year. And every week in the winter, we're going to have a new Oscar contender coming out. So that I like you, I expect some announcement to come. I especially think the longer this goes on and is actually an epidemic, the the more likely we are to get some kind of major change because I don't think they're going to be able to wait that long. But at the same time, you know, if every big picture gets moved back to the end of the year, we're going to have week after week the Oscars discussion is going to be changing. That's only good news for the Academy overall, I would think. So this could be it, there could be merit to them waiting a little bit just to see how things play out first instead of jumping on a change and jumping on an announcement like the Emmys and Tonys have done here. My guess, Mike, is not a happy one, though. I My guess is that when this is all over, People are going to want to do summary, hopefully summary and not folly, summary <laughs> social things out with one another in public. They're going to, the restaurants are going to boom. Are the movie industries going to boom, though? I don't know. Like restaurants and bars should boom at that point. You know, f- music mm. festivals, all that kind of thing. How much of a ceiling does the movie industry have? I think people will want to see movies with friends, no question about it. But there's going to be a bit of a movie-watching fatigue you know, for, for people like our brothers, are they going yeah, I mean, it's the first thing they want to do when this is all over. It, it's probably to go on vacation. It's not to go, it's not to go to the movies right. for the first time. Right. You and me will just like, well, we've been sitting watching these alone. Now we'll sit and watch <laughs> these not alone, but still by ourselves. No, I mean, we want to do social things. Well, we, ha- we haven't been eating them with enough personal pizzas has been the difference. We have to go to the theater to get the, yeah, no, Here, here's my bottom line with all this. Uh, this needs to wrap itself up by the middle of October because if I don't get my Halloween movie, I'm just going to shut down. You need to get that movie. I need to get that movie now <laughs> after our Halloween franchise rewatch. But we got some more news stories. This has been a news heavy episode in uh, Do You Care Now? section this is where we take other news stories of the week we ask each other do we should we or will we care about them the way we start the do you care segment traditionally has been i ask quarantined michael over here uh, about the new upcoming theatrical releases obviously for the last couple weeks we have not had any so we will be talking about premium and vod releases on premium coming out this week mike we have never rarely sometimes always that's dropping april 3rd on vod for 1999 
I'm a little worried about the price point. I, I wonder if they, they would do better to make it like uh, the downhill just came out at ten ninety nine. Yeah, I'm, I'm a little. I'm, I don't understand why they went so high, but maybe. Yeah, I mean, they, we don't know their financials. But it, it is supposed to be a really strong film, and maybe they're thinking about the prestige of it. And we're gonna review it as an Oscar sprint profile at the end of the week, and 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 pwn down the twenty bucks for it. Yeah. So I think. I think that it's getting people like us, so maybe that's all they want and all they need. I mean, there's enough people out like us out there, so maybe it works for them. It could be a so. huge cash grab moment for them, too. They have gotten a lot of positive word of mouth, so maybe they're just going for the gusto and saying, you know, projections be damned. Let's see what happens. Uh, early releases on VOD for digital purchase this week. We have The Call of the Wild dropping March 27th. That's got a price point of $14.99. Downhill, you just talked about it, coming out the 27th as well for $9.99. Uh, those both broke after our MMOW recordings right. last week. So for me, I'm kind of waiting for Disney Plus to get call, the Call of the Wild. I don't know about you. I mean, I, I almost want to buy it for $14.99, but at the same time, I know it's going to be on Disney Plus being a Fox property. So I'm waiting for that one. I do think Downhill is just a movie that got crushed yeah. in terms of the reviews. So I'm just kind of waiting for that on premium channels. But I'm tempted. I'm tempted at nine ninety nine. So that's a good price point or ten ninety nine, whatever it is. I'm tempted for that one. Can I tell you, I have not clicked around on Disney Plus at I have not, no motivation to. It has not appealed to me. I just haven't done it. You know what's on there. You know all the Disney movies yeah. are on there. Yeah. You know their original movies aren't great. I've, I've talked about them. And you know that they have The Mandalorian. Yeah. And unless you're really into The Mandalorian, you probably don't want to go for it. The only other thing that might have you curious is like all the nature stuff. I don't know if you're into that at all. No, I'm not one of those people that just sits and smokes weeds and puts that on. Uh, if I was, I, I'd be all over it. But I, and believe me, I understand the appeal of it. I just haven't been one of those people. Uh, what we did report last week about what's coming out soon, Michael, Sonic the Hedgehog is dropping March 31st uh, when you were hopefully listening to this episode at a price point of 19.99. Bad Boys for Life coming out as well for 19.99. Both of those will be available for purchase. So Sonic's going to do well because it's another, you know, property for kids. And if, if people missed it or they want to rewatch it, then parents are going to spring for their kids at this point. Bad Boys for Life is probably another movie that's a great, you know, watch party thing. Plus, I, I think you get these as you get copies for purchase. So it's like buying the Blu-ray. It's not necessarily the rental, but I, we'll, we'll have to wait and see for that. I think available for purchase is what I wrote down. So you're getting some value there. You're not just getting a movie to watch for 48 hours. I think that hurt the Invisible Man and the Hunt and whatnot, even though it probably did okay for themselves with the rental practice. Yeah, I would agree with everything you just said there. Uh, regular VOD, we have The Other Lamb dropping on April 3rd. That is a 76% Rotten Tomato score right now. We reviewed this trailer two weeks ago. Lazy Susan also coming out the 3rd. That has Sean Hayes and Margot Martindale, so that means Sean Hayes is probably going to die. And Brahms <laughs> the Boy 2 is coming out as well on VOD streaming. We have Onward coming to Disney Plus on the 3rd. Coffee and Kareem is coming on the 3rd to Netflix. We also reviewed that trailer last week's MMOW. Invisible Life on the 3rd coming to Amazon Prime. Brazilian Best International Film Entry from last year. Con Uncertain Regard winner. I can speak I've... the languages. 
I'm so happy I made you read <laughs> all that. But uh, all right, I'm interested in watching uh, Invisible Life on Amazon Prime because it's another one of those you know uh, in- international features that was a contender last year. That's coming to us now. This is kind of the season for that. I'll have more to say on that, that later on. Onward coming to Disney Plus again. Case in point for the Call in the Wild. Why I'm, why I'm going to wait for that. You know, the other Lamb is a cult movie. If it's like 7.99, I might be a little tempted if I'm a, if I'm in a dark mood. Uh, Lazy Susan seems to be a passion project for Sean Hayes, Margot Martindale. Uh, again, I'm curious, but I haven't seen any reviews on that one yet. So I'm kind of I'm not really into a bunch of these. Uh, like I said, Invisible Life is the the one I'm most into. How about you? Do you have any pick from that litter? I lo- I'm a sucker for cult films. I, I was very, very high on Onward as well. I, I want to shout that out. And he's actually, this is a rare week where I think everything kind of appeals to me a little bit. And because they are all on streaming services that I own, oh. I might actually get some decent watching of new stuff in instead of just going back to the office again, uh, which I, I just I just, I just just did uh, before we were on here today. But yeah. I knew it. <laughs> um, I didn't hear from you as much. I knew you must have binged something. But yeah, I, 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 I like, uh, I, I don't mind any of those to be honest with you invisible life is probably the one i'm i'm most hesitant to to jump into which was one you're you're most excited to jump into so kind of you agree with me though sean hayes is dead in that movie sean hayes is in trouble yeah, let's just say you. that all right coming facing jeopardy <laughs> coming to premium tv as well good boys is dropping on hbo mary magdalene is coming to showtime where's my roy Cohn is dropping on stars on april 6th has stars become like must own sneaky in the past six months here because they're the only premium network that i don't own currently and i'm really upset about that because they've added not only once upon a time in hollywood they have a bunch of tarantino stuff on there they have this where's my roy cohen movie which i really wanted to see i did some research they currently house 40 movies that have a legitimate 8.0 or higher on imdb as well i i don't have stars but i think after this i'm going to repurchase stars I think they've always had a good movie library. They've had the Disney stuff, the MCU stuff before Disney Plus. That's they true. still have some some holdovers there. Right now they've got Young Frankenstein, A Simple Plan, Drag Me to Hell, Snatch, Uncle Buck, Kindergarten Cop. I was tempted to click play on all of those, and I may do that this coming week if I'm bored enough because those are movies that I always love to rewatch or that I recently, you know, got the desire to to, to take in again. Uh, I've always thought they, they've had a good library, and they put out new movies that I'm, I'm into as well. Like, Where's My Roy Cohn? That was something I almost bought like a yeah. hundred times last year, and that, that might be something I dive into. Showtime, not so much. HBO's got some good stuff. Like, Good Boys, I'm watching that this week. We all know <laughs> we're all watching that. So that, that's cool. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Showtime is kind of the least of the three right now maybe, but they got better original shows, I would say. Like, I'm watching Black Monday. Stars, I don't have any original shows that I'm into to on stars i have to get into black monday i have multiple people telling me that i would love it and you've said it multiple times yourself so i have to i do plan uh, on taking the dive and this is not one of those times two. i say i plan on doing it with not going to do uh, it well here's something that'll you know give you the excuse you need not to get into it Thank season you. two sucks so far oh no you don't like it i don't like it all right i don't know why interesting it's it's just jump the shark like, last season was awesome. It was all 1980s Wall Street stuff. It was crazy. It was like watching a crazy episode or uh, of the Oliver Stone Wall Street movie. It was, it was fun. Don Cheadle was great. Regina Hall was, you know, showcasing her talent as usual. It, it was terrific. But So what's the difference? What happened? They are literally, like, fighting a drug cartel right now. It makes no sense. It should be a Wall Street show. That's relatable content. We've all been there. <laughs> 
bizarre. But yeah, I'm a couple episodes in, and uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to stick with it for the time being. Anyway, Mike, you were happy about this on Twitter today. John Krasinski and Steve Carell started a YouTube show dedicated to good news. Will you watch this? Do you care? I care very deeply, and I watched this already, and I thought it was great. Uh, I think John Krasinski might actually be just a superhero that lives among us. The guy is always on. He's very funny when he has skits with Jimmy Kimmel. He's very funny. I haven't watched the new, the Jack Ryan show he's in, but I've been very tempted to because I just think he's that magnamic or I, I'm very drawn to him as, as a personality and as a human being. Mm. Uh, the Steve Carell thing that was on that he shot just for himself. He put it on like his Facebook page. It was on YouTube. It was just them reminiscing about the office. And then he talks to another sweet little girl. It's literally him just finding good news around the internet and being a newscaster and telling us about it. It's so simple and so pure. And it's something we desperately need during these times. So yes, I care very deeply about this. Did you watch it yet or no? No, I haven't watched it. I'm I'm actually surprised that more people aren't doing this on you know taking YouTube and and making their own shows like at home and people will tolerate all of the lo-fi production values at this moment. Absolutely, so you could just put anything out there if you're a celebrity. You know, don't just put a TikTok video out there. Make a little show at home and go back to your roots. You know, when you were young, see what you could do as a filmmaker. I, I, I'm wondering if if if. You know, people are gearing up, and we got a lot of that coming out in May and, and June here. But I'm 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 into that. I, I might watch it. People have started. Like, I know there's a bunch of famous DJs that are holding parties on their Instagram live feeds and they're just playing music and sitting behind the turntables and playing for people to come in and join for free. I know there's some collaborations. Nick Kroll and had John Mulaney and, and Jenny Slay yeah. and a bunch of other people. They did a live table read of Big Mouth across, you know, a Google Hangout space. So <laughs> there is some innovation coming out of this that I've noticed that's that's really cool to see, quite frankly. Well, that's good. It's, it's optimi- another optimistic story. And uh, we got three casting news stories that are somewhat optimistic as well because we have Anya Taylor-Joy. She auditioned to play Charlize Theron's role of Furiosa in Mad, Ma- Mad Max uh, prequel coming out from uh, George Miller. He wants to shoot it next year, Mike. Yeah, I got an important phone call there in the background on my end, so I apologize. I told Spielberg I'm not... Barely to talk to him yet. So, uh, yeah. Uh, Look, is there any doubt that Fury Road was released like three years too early? Like, if Fury Road came out in 2018 or 2019, it wins Best Picture in a Runaway, doesn't it? It might. You know, there might be be a pioneering spirit to that film and how it opened up, you know, the uh, Oscars for more genres with what it accomplished at at the very least. And, yeah, as, as beloved as it is now for good reason. I agree, and maybe it was the one that started cracking the glass ceiling for films like Get Out and Parasite to finally break through, but there's got to be a little part of George Miller that's a little bit resentful that it took that long and he just missed the window by that much. But Still won a lot of Oscars, though. It did, I mean, it yeah, did well. it swept the undercard. Mike, Ryan Gosling's going back to space for novelist Andy Weir's next adaptation, Project Hail Mary, and if you don't know Andy Weir, he's the novelist who wrote The Martian. You had me at Gosling. I'm in. 
<laughs> Mark Duplass says Creep 3 is still in the works. I mean, if you read a couple of these stories, Bloody Disgusting just came out with one. IndieWire had one earlier in the week where, you know, Bloody Disgusting is kind of like we're struggling. I don't know if the production's going to happen. IndieWire is a little more, you know, optimistic. What do you think of Creep 3? So I've yet to watch Creep 2 and stay tuned because I have a follow-up on that in a different segment. Uh, I plan on watching it at some point, and that's another one I'm serious about planning on watching because I loved the first Creep movie. I thought it was a total masterwork. And that was actually my first time seeing Mark Duplass outside of his character in the league. And my God, is he not playing the same character? <laughs> um, and the creep movies overall, they they have a weird phenomena attached to them. There's a significant difference between how critics view the creep movies, creep and creep two versus how audiences do. And usually when that's the case, it's a blockbuster film and audiences are higher on it than critics are, but it's actually the inverse for the creep movies. They have relatively low audience scores, but very, very high critic numbers. Creep one, 6.3 IMDb score, 65% Rotten Tomato audience score, but it carries a 74 meta score and an 86 or 89%, excuse me, Rotten Tomatoes score for critics. Mm-hmm. Creep mm-hmm. 2, 6.4 IMDb, 72% audience score, but a 75 meta score and a perfect 100% Rotten Tomato score amongst critics. So there's something to be had. I'm not alone in saying that I think Creep is very high quality and very well done. I imagine Creep 2 is the same, and I, I think every horror fan should be rooting for this series to be prolonged. So you're an audience member who is also a critic, though. So this is like the perfect movie for you, but... Half of me hated it. Yeah, No, I thought it was very good. I thought it was very well done. And as a horror fan, it's it gave me... I'm not usually a huge fan of the POV, the found footage, the handheld camera type narration me device. Neither. Yeah, But they, they, they actually work it into the story pretty well. Well, I'm curious, and I, I'm going through my Netflix queue, as I'll talk about later. So I, I might finally click on it at some point. All right, well, there you go. I've made one sale on Creep, and if you're listening, hopefully I've made at least one other one. Mike, South by Southwest did have its special jury pick their festival winners virtually last week. Do you care about any of these? Yeah, I do. Uh, a movie called Shithouse. I'm sorry? Narrative... <laughs> Shithouse won the narrative feature. Isn't that wild? Yes. It's a coming-of-age film from writer-director Cooper Rafe about a homesick college freshman who goes to a party at Shithouse and ends up spending the night with a sophomore RA who's had a shitty day and wants someone to hang out with. Previous winners of the South by Southwest Narrative Feature Award include Thunder Road with Jim Cummings, Short Term 12, the uh, Destin Daniel Cretton movie with Brie Larson and Lakeith Stanfield. Also like, uh, yeah, Lena Dunham's movie, uh, Tiny Furniture, one of her first things that won that award at South by Southwest. So, yeah, this is hopeful. So here's my only issue with this, knowing nothing about Shithouse, knowing nothing, quite Mm -hmm. frankly, about uh, Cooper Rafe either. I just looked up his IMDb upon seeing the story. I hope he's not, he's in this movie, he casted himself, I hope he's not playing either the freshman or the sophomore RA, because this guy looks like he's like 27, not 18 or 19. You know, a lot of these first movies, sometimes they take like 10 years to make, so if he wrote it... He started started when he was, oh, maybe, all right, I'll buy that. getting out of college, maybe that's why, (laughs) so hopefully he's a baby face, I don't know, we've seen worse... You know, that is true. Disparities. <laughs> that is true. Yes. Uh, we also had an elephant in the room. That's Catherine Phillips' dissection of how children handle grief. That won the featured documentary jury prize. Yeah, for Sama won this award last year. So you never know in terms of Oscar legs. This is this is an important subject. Kids handling grief. I mean, good Absolutely. God. I mean, the world, especially during as the world is right now. 
yeah, the world needs this right now. It's uh, it's a it's a much more connected industry, a much more connected film Twitter, you know, to say the least. Or, you know, in terms of the the buzz and how you can get movies like An Elephant into the Room into Oscar contendability. So if if the, if it has an open field and you get this recognition now, when everybody's kind of paying attention in a way, that's good for South by Southwest and it's good for this movie. And if and you have a track record just last year with Forsama, I kind of looked through all the other movies that have won in the last 10 years nothing really jumped out at me forgive me but uh i do i do think you know lately we've had a, a just an uptick in coverage of these film festival winners and we saw what it did for parasite last year just upping and upping and upping their profile that's another thing that's going to be interesting to monitor as a fallout of this corona pandemic what happens we're not going to get the traditional festival route it seems this year so does something like tiff get canceled do films not have any preview showings do they just go with their local critics for screenings and then roll out on the national stage once we get back to this normalcy as opposed to having the festival momentum behind that how does that change the awards narrative uh going to be interesting to see across the board we are going to have such a busy fall michael yeah, we are. anyway neon they've been on a buying spree they purchased she dies tomorrow from south by southwest pig which is a nicholas cage movie and then from uh the son of david cronenberg possessor which has some wild screenshots they all go to neon okay so in the same way that sean hayes is definitely dying in that movie with Margot martindale pig with <laughs> nicholas cage is definitely just nicholas cage wearing a plastic pig nose and like reading the bible or something right for 90 minutes we agree what was the movie nanny mcfee no it was a kid's movie where she just had a pig nose and all the kids. Yeah, yeah, I think it was Nanny McPhee. Like I think you nailed it on the head right there. Yeah, I think that's absolutely. <laughs> I don't think it was Nanny McPhee. I think it was something else. We could say it was <laughs> Nanny McPhee. As far as we're concerned, the MMO review of Nanny McPhee is exactly what I just said the uh, the movie Pig with Nicolas Cage is going to Neon right now is like Jeff Lowe from Tiger King, right? They just, they have a shitload of money and they're just sitting mm. back like, I guess I'll buy these tiger farms and, and hell, maybe I'll start a bus company on the Vegas Strip while I'm at it. They are impervious <laughs> to pain or ridicule at this moment and it's well deserved off the back of Parasite and all the wonderful things that movie did for that studio last year they're flush with cash they should be spending they should be just acquiring and trying to gear up for the next award season as far as these films Possessor is one that I've had my eye on for a long time already the visuals really look stark and stunning and disturbing and very mm. Cronenbergian so I guess this kid is just a chip off the old block from what dad did and Look, if you're a fan of film, it's got a really solid cast attached to it, too. Andrea Reesborough, Jennifer Jason Lee, Sean Bean's in it, too. So you know you're going to see at least one death on film. Things to look Mike, I want to see, I want to see a movie with Sean Bean and Margot Martindale. And they're just, <laughs> they're trying to double cross each other the whole movie and you're wondering. And they could, they could totally make it a send up, like where you know he's going to die, but when? <laughs> right. That'd be a great suspense movie. That movie would last three minutes. Sean Bean would be beheaded in the opening credits and Margot Martindale would just like she'd get Anne Dowd as a stinger scene in the post credits to help her share a cigarette. That's how that. Or how about this? How about this? Uh, pitching you a movie. Yeah. Margot Martindale and Anne Dowd compete over to who, who can kill Sean Bean. <laughs> that I would spend all my money on that if we had that available to us during quarantine. I'm in. Here's my bank account. <laughs> 
Let's talk about a box office update, Michael. Yeah, we got VOD charts this week from iTunes and Amazon Prime. In terms of iTunes, 1917 led it at number one. Onward, Birds of Prey, Bloodshot, and The Gentleman were the two, three, four, five. Bloodshot won the Amazon Prime list. Jumanji, The Next Level, Knives Out, The Greatest Showman, and Bombshell formed the uh, the rest of the top five. And you know, so Amazon Prime, it seems like you have rentals that are in the four to five dollar range or maybe they have some sales because they always have sales there on prime in terms of itunes you had a lot of new movies yeah 1917 leading the itunes rentals so it's finally being seen as it was always truly meant to be seen on smartphone and tablet screens across the globe now look (laughs) i'm a little surprised i i thought family friendly films or superhero blockbusters would lead the rentals right isn't I, i what doesn't that make sense and to see a more artistic film like 1917 that shows the power of award season still i think well birds of prey is really not a family friendly it's a blockbuster though it's a superhero blockbuster neither is bloodshot i would guess i haven't seen it yet but I, I, I mean, but then again, people are buying into it. I think uh, a lot of those movies are available on Disney Plus, though. You know, you could just get it. That's true too. You know, you yeah. Get Disney Plus for whatever a month, and then you can watch them all. So people are getting their fix that way. I also like Knives Out hanging out in the top five of Amazon Prime's rentals because that's been available on VOD and and for rental for a long time, at least over a month now. It's been a couple of weeks since I've watched rewatched Knives Out again. I, I got to do that again. I, I love that movie. Anyway, we have some subscriber gains and, and some reports on how streaming services are doing. Disney Plus, they've tripled their new subscriber gains. Netflix has had a 47% bump. HBO Now and Showtime, they saw 78% gains, while Apple TV Plus, Mike, only saw a 10% gain. It's got to be concerning for Apple TV, no? God, they have to be a little worried about that. 10% only? And I just bought into it too. Right? But they're they're strange. Is that they're strange in the fact that they only put out new stuff at the end of every month, which is really weird. And a lot of the, I mean, yeah, they have a decent number of quality programs. We reviewed that during our banker segment, our banker uh, quarantine collection episode, where we went through what happened, mm-hmm. what Apple TV has in store for it. But some of their bigger name stuff, man, that M Night Shyamalan show is just it's it's not great. I I went back. I tried. Couldn't get through the second episode. I was not crazy about it. Uh, Netflix gaining 47% of subscribers makes no sense to me. I don't understand how that's possible. How are there enough people who don't own Netflix already to make up that number during this quarantine? Well, it's not 47% of their whole subscriber base. And they just, they've, you know, they've gone to 147% of what they used to have. Right. No, it's, it's 47. That's not the number. No, it's not. It's. It's just whatever new subscribers they were getting. If they were getting like five hundred thousand a month, right now they got forty-seven percent more than that. I stand by my outrage. There's not enough people who don't have Netflix to make a Netflix should be ten percent. Anything above ten percent, we need an investigation into their books. Everybody has Netflix already. We know we should be all be working for streaming services. Right <laughs> yeah, now, that's so. the bottom line here. That's the bottom line. We have a couple of trailers to get through. Let's talk about some trailer thoughts. Trailer. All right, Mike, the first one coming to Netflix April 10th is Tiger Tail. I didn't write a premise for this one because I'm not entirely sure what's going on. Well, it seems like a coming-of-age story at the beginning. I agree. And then you, and then you follow the, the people who have come of age when they immigrated to the United States. I think that's what happened. Yeah. Or maybe. And <laughs> Sima, 
is playing the older version of the younger character, and he is just having a career renaissance yes. after the farewell, and I'm really happy about that. I think this trailer looked a little melodramatic. I don't know about you, but I'm kind of in the mood for a movie like that. Just give me a big emotional over-the-top film, and I'll probably buy into it. The cinematography is beautiful. What would you think? I, I don't consider myself to be a dumb person, but I, I always do like when trailers... I feel haven't shown me anything. And that's part of the reason why I couldn't come up with really Mm -hmm. a premise of this other than a coming of age. And I didn't, you know, that's, that's clearly what it is, but I I like that. I like being intrigued and like, especially having a decent enough cast attached where I know I'm going to at least get quality performances like you just alluded to. So I'm much more uh, interested to see this than I would be if it was just a regular cookie cutter coming of age movie that we've seen the trailer for a billion times already, which is, this is not. So yeah. And there's obviously some technical aspects of this that are really, uh, really well done. There's some beautifully artistic shots in this, uh, the cinematography, like you said, is, is great. So I, I am more intrigued now having seen a trailer that I don't understand than I would have been otherwise. Coming from one of the writers of masters of none. Yeah. And uh, you have, you have like a family saga, you know, in one movie. I kind of like that sometimes, so I'm kind of in. Bad Education, Mike, is going to be an HBO original movie. The premise of this, Hugh Jackman and Allison Janney play school administrators caught in an embezzlement scheme by one of their own paper's reporters, it seems. Was that a school paper reporter or the local newspaper reporter, you think, cracking this story? I think it was a school paper That's how reporter, I took it as well. I'm surprised that the White Stripes and that song, The Hardest Button to Button, I'm surprised that's not used for more trailers, for like song. every trailer. Great song, isn't it? The White Stripes, Jack White seemed to have <laughs> just been made to produce like stadium anthems, <laughs> trailer songs, and that's it. He's like the most corporatized, if that's a word, musician, even though he's very anti-corporate, which is just perfect for where hard yeah. rock and roll is. Just the way all of his songs go, like you can have like the beginning, slow beginning work during all your dialogue scenes in the trailer, and then you can have the crazy ending work for the crazy ending of your trailer with all the guitar. <laughs> right, right. I'm with you. I think it fits perfectly. Uh, this film, Bad Education, we talked about last year. HBO bought the rights for this at TIFF last year for $20 million. That was the high purchase point of the festival. It looks great I, I can understand why people the original filmmakers thought this could be an oscar contender yeah i'm clicking on this one pretty quick i think you have allison janney and hugh jackman you have geraldine viswanathan i mean you got some great actors and i don't necessarily understand like why these characters are embezzling money it seems like there's some complicated reasons for that like it seems like hugh jackman's not just out for himself he's trying to move money around so that he can help his school district so they can improve his career i guess that's selfish but he's trying to do good so it's a little more complicated than just trying to you know get a big score for him at least that's the way it seems then again you got alice and janney being called socio Kathy, <laughs> in the trailer, too. yes, she's crying and nobody's buying it. That was a funny scene. Uh, you know you're going to get a, a solid performance out of Janie and Jackman. You said Geraldine Viswanathan. That's the name I'm looking for. I hope she has enough as the reporter to break this story to kind of put on display here and contend for an Emmy with this coming to HBO because she has just outright stolen scenes in both Blockers oh, yeah. and Miracle Workers that I've seen. So I'm very excited to see her get to play with such high quality. I mean, seeing her interact with Daniel Radcliffe and Steve Buscemi and Miracle Workers has been fun. I'm very excited to see her play with, uh, you know, Allison Janney and Hugh Jackman here. So I'm like you. I can't wait to see this one. She's got a Apple TV Plus movie, uh, this one uh, called Hala. 
and I was curious to click play on that. I may have to do that this week. But anyway, Mike, we got our what we're watching. There you go. Segment here. I finished Tiger King. I say everything that you said last week. I echo all that. <laughs> but I also thought it was funny that Ed Norton and Dax Shepard were like competing on Twitter for who should play Joe Exotic in a feature film. Oh, I did not see that, but that's a good battle. <laughs> It was good natured, but like Dax Shepard's like, I gotta play this guy, and Ed Norton's like, No, you're you're not old enough. I, it's my role. Back off. And then and then Ed Norton said like, Well, you could play the younger role, and then we can. Wouldn't that be interesting? There you go. Get a little love scene between Dax Shepard and Ed Norton. I'm all for that. It was wild that they were kind of flirting with that on online. Anyway, Mike, of course, I finished The Crown. I finished season three on Netflix. It's the best thing I watched this week. Wow. Olivia Coleman is cold as ice Ooh. in this portrayal. It is a vintage Olivia Coleman. We I also love Tobias Menzies. I mean, he's from Outlander. He's from a bunch of stuff. He's a great, you know, wife of the uh, husband of the of the king, uh, queen uh playing a great philip there he's even better than matthew smith i thought uh and then helena bottom Carner, certainly deserving of all of her emmys but like the star of the show the breakout star was the guy who played prince charles this kid josh o'connell he was awesome it was the best stuff of the whole season and i can't wait for season four when princess diana gets thrown into the mix with with Josh O'Connell, it's going to be awesome. Oh, you have certainly done your part to sell the crown as something that everyone should kind of get get their hands on and watch and and can really be sold into. And I, I commend the job you're doing on Netflix's behalf. But it's also a show about overcoming like huge historical disasters. Like every show is about that. So Act One of every episode is like, here's a huge historical disaster, and here's how smart you know capable people can overcome it. So it's it's kind of a the right show to watch during these times, I would say. All right. So we got the crown as a positive. We have Tiger King as, did you laugh at the jet ski scene in Tiger King's finale? Yeah, I laughed oh at that. God. That song is always going to make me <laughs> laugh. Just always. What about Mike, Dickinson? I, yeah, I watched Dickinson on Apple TV+. Plus. I binged it yesterday. The show makes you both like sad and yet happy. I mean, I, I'm sad in the sense that I miss all the high school age kids that I work with. Right. And I haven't seen them for a couple of weeks. And, you know, they've been a, part of my daily life for for nine years the last nine years right now and this is a show with kind of younger actors in there they're you know early 20s and i know they're playing high school kids whatever so i just I, it made me feel good it was kind of a cool hangout i hope that doesn't sound creepy but i, I you know i miss working with the kids so i got to watch a show about kids there you go. I, don't know. I think that's wholesome enough i think that's that you did a decent job of walking that tightrope there Mike, I watched a bunch of movies for the first time. I watched Jumanji The Next Level, and it has 10 really great laughs and a few fun action sequences, but the filler is just not good. It's like some cringeworthy stuff. So Jumanji The Next Level probably gets like a C plus, B minus for me at the end of the day. So you liked everything but the movie? I liked everything but the story, yeah. I guess. All I right. Say. Yeah, exactly. I watched a bunch of documentaries. I watched Making Waves, The Art of Cinematic Sound. You're a good person. You're a good critic. I learned a lot, and I learned what sound mixing is. Yeah? Sound mixing is essentially volume control on all of what they did for sound editing. It's basically what they're going to feature 
in any particular shot. Like, are they going to put up the music? Are they going to put up the dialogue? Are they going to put up the effects? Are they going to have the foleying, which is a term I, I learned, <laughs> is like the underbelly of like the pitter-patter of the steps or whatever. They literally have people for every movie doing foley, <laughs> F-O-L-E-Y, and you get to learn about that in in this uh in this documentary so it's a, it's a really cool two hours worth worth five bucks so it's a 2020 movie or 2019 movie it was good i also watched score a film music documentary on amazon prime which is just an excuse to listen to all my favorite film scores for two hours mm-hmm. so that's free of course just do that i watched never surrender a galaxy quest documentary on prime this was disappointing yeah, it was disappointing. Like the subjects weren't good. They just weren't convincing. Like they were just always hamming it up, play, you know, cosplaying. It didn't work for me. I'd rather just have watched Galaxy Quest, I guess. Well, I mean, you've had seven positive reviews in a row, so uh, you know, it That's can't true. all be great. Uh, I got another positive review here because I watched the documentary on Joan Jett last night on Hulu. This was a kick-ass documentary. Oh, I got so amped up last night. I must have listened to music to like one in the morning, listen to all this rock music <laughs> in my basement. I was I was really hyped about this. It got me hyped up for today's episode. So watch Bad Reputation on Hulu. She's a freaking hero. Did, I, I love did that. Did you find that she gives a damn about her reputation or no? Yeah, she does, oh, but it's right. her musical reputa- reputation. She's been lying to us all these years, then. <laughs> She's complicated. <laughs> I really like Joe Jett. Uh, Mike, I have, a, I have another movie to just crush right now. I watched the 1936 Best Picture winner on Turner Classic Movies, The Great Zigfield. I'm shocked about how bad this movie is. It's like watching a middle school dance. Ooh. It is just so awkward and obvious and horrifying. And to get out of my metaphor quickly, though, it gets worse because, like, the middle of the movie, it also gets super racist. Oh, boy. It's just <laughs> disgusting and assassinates this entire experience uh, in its entirety. So The Great Zigfield is a total skip. It's just a it's a bad movie. So but fuck that movie. this is part of your endeavor to watch every Best Picture winner. Uh, yeah. This is something that was a product of the times. Did you have any highlights? Could you see the quality in it at all? Or is this just something that time should forget? Time should forget this movie. Oh, wow. I, I I don't have a lot of uh I don't have a lot of positives to say about it. It was really rough. I mean, I guess the performances are okay. You have some movie stars involved that I don't I'm not gonna remember their names. I'm sorry. I'm not that much of a Oscar historian yet, I guess. But the, this is kind of why we don't do retrospectives as much as we do, because a lot of these movies don't t- stand the test of time. This in particular, this was awful. Yeah, loaded with landmines for sure. Anyway, I watched uh, The Rookie on ESPN, Dennis Quaid, oldest MLB rookie in history. That's fine. It's a good movie, good baseball movie. Portrait of a Lady on Fires on Hulu now. I encourage everybody to watch it. It is great. It's a great film. It's an A-. It would have been in my top ten last year if I had seen it, so watch that. And then I, I finally watched Little Women, which I purchased. I was almost worried to watch it because I, I didn't know if it would hold up. It's still great. It's mesmerizing. <laughs> I want to watch it again. It's that good. I, it is, it's a crime what happened to that movie this past year at the Oscars and yes I echo yeah. your sentiments it is a wonderful movie uh, I have a couple that I watched this week I rewatched that horror movie The Invitation on Netflix I watched it the first time when it came oh, out good. I think or when it was first on Netflix it's got positives I think the ending I think the climax is handled a little clunky I think it's a little convenient to the plot but I, I understand and I appreciate the message and the story that was going for uh, 
I guess it's kind of a forgettable movie insofar as I had only seen it a couple years ago and I didn't remember a lot of the things happening in the plot the first time I watched it. But I think for, you know, a free movie, if you're trying to kill an hour and a half on Netflix, you can certainly do worse. Uh, I can tell you about this little town called Pawnee in Indiana, if you'd like to hear about it, or this little city in in Pennsylvania called Scranton, if you want to know about a paper company there. But what I did watch uh, that I wanted to highlight is Creep 2. I lied to you guys before. I did watch Creep 2 after filling out that I didn't see it in this document for MMOW here. I took the plunge and I watched it. I loved Creep 2. I thought it was better than the first one. Oh, good. Um, Wow. I don't... Having seen that, it ends on a weird note. I guess it sets itself up for Creep 3, which I didn't want to give away when we were talking about it. Uh, But it's, it's awkward the transition that they're going to have to make, and you will see exactly what I'm talking about. I think Mark Duplass plays a fantastic weirdo. Uh, I think he was might be made for that type of role, and certainly this is obviously a, a passion project series that he has now developed this into, but as I said, reviewing Creep 1 and talking about the potential for Creep 3 coming out, if you are a horror fan, if you like scary movies, even if you don't like the handheld POV, the first-person POV, it's a great movie. It sets up another great character in the series as well that you get introduced to over the course of the movie. I really, really think you should choke, check out uh, Creep 2. And Creep 1, for that matter. If you haven't seen Creep 1, certainly watch that first. But you don't need to watch it first to so appreciate what happens in Creep 2. Can you give us the premise of Creep 1? Like, what, what is the movie actually about? A videographer gets hired for the day by a guy who just wants him to basically follow him around and discretion is advised. Basically the same, the both movies have pretty much the same setups. Um, Hmm. and you find, you know, as you watch them, you, you come to find out in the first one that Mark Duplass is a creep and that's, that's the title. So, all right. So it's not like, I I don't want to, I don't want you to spoil it, but I was wondering if it was just like a, uh, he was a serial murderer, and, and, and then he's trying to get his next victim or whatever. But I, I didn't know what it was about the trailer. I didn't want it to be about just someone who's like a voyeur creep kind of thing. No, like it's not It's me. not that. It's not that. Um, it's, right. uh, you know, you, 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 have a, you, you know what it's about. <laughs> you have a pretty good grasp, <laughs> I would say. <laughs> All right. So maybe, maybe I will take the dive this week. And uh, you, you did a good sales job yourself there. Yeah. Anyway, Mike. We got audience interaction here. Six degrees of MMO. Maya Rudolph to, of course, <laughs> Dr. Anthony Fauci. We had a ton of great efficiency awards this week. Yeah, the Tom Hanks Defense Force, our buddies there at Tom Hanks Defense. Maya Rudolph was on SNL where Seth Meyers played Anderson Cooper. Dr. Fauci has been on featured on TV recently with Anderson Cooper, of course. Jordan Beck as well at Dr. Magnifico. Maya Rudolph is in a long-term relationship with Paul Thomas Anderson, which I did not know going into this. Oh, really? Yeah, PTA obviously made Magnifico. That features references to Exodus chapter eight, uh, two. I, I, I don't know how to read biblical hashtags like that. Hashtags is not the word that Jesus <laughs> wanted them to be referred to as, but it's 2020 after all. But anyway, it culminates with a plague. Dr. Fauci appears on my TV daily to explain the latest updates to our current biblical plague. So you didn't know Maya Rudolph and PTA was the basis for Phantom Thread? You didn't know that? No. Oh, that's that that adds a whole nother, you know, layer to rewatching that movie. So Dr. Magnifico's helped you here. So has she just been like hurting him? 
I don't know, but it's it's fascinating. That's why I want to see her in more things. I think she's a fascinating person. I agree with Married that. Married to PTA and 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 driving a story like that isn't that wild? Yeah, absolutely. Maya Rudolph is full of surprise. Hey, she should host something. I'm sick of this. I'm tired of our campaign for it. Let her host Agreed. the Oscars. Agreed. Agreed. Audrey Radajack, Mike at Audrey underscore Radajack says Maya Rudolph was on SNL and so was John Lovitz, who was on Celebrity Apprentice, which was hosted by Donald Trump, who Dr. Fauci stands behind while Trump tells lies to the American people. There you go, Audrey. Good job there with that one. I guess you get the Mike one seal of approval on it. Swamp. She's getting after it. Swamp thing played by CGI Luke Kirby, our buddy Wojciech Byshore there. Rudolph is in a relationship with PTA. There you go who was called a true auteur by Sam Mendes, who was married to Kate Winslet, who's in Contagion, which is about people in the midst of a pandemic situation similar to which Dr. Anthony Fauci is trying to fight in real life. Power couples, Michael. Power couples. <laughs> Bill Bradsky at Bill Bradsky 2620 says uh, Maya Rudolph was on the 2016 sketch show Maya and Marty alongside cast member Mikey Day. Day created the character of David S. Pumpkins, played by Tom Hanks on SNL. What a funny skit that was. Hanks and his wife are recovering from the coronavirus, the pandemic currently being addressed by Fauci. Uh, yeah, and we're glad to report that they are doing well in their home in Los Angeles, both Tom Hanks and Rita Wilson. So that's uh, some good that's right. news as well. Ken Murray. At, They're back. Yes, mom and dad are home. At Murray Maker, Maya Rudolph was on SNL with Amy Poehler, who was in Parks and Rec. I've never heard of it. And Joe Biden cameoed in it. Biden was VP under Obama. And Fauci was running the NEAID since 1984, which helped with both Ebola and, well, obviously now uh, th- this pandemic we're living through, but he stopped it at yeah. Ebola. And they included real historical events in that one, which I was glad because I put that on the uh, booster tweet. There you go. We, we had last following week. directions. Jim Bocci Pasta, he says this is an easy one because Maya Rudolph was in an episode of SNL where Chris Kattan played Anthony Fauci in a skit. I we don't suck. remember that, by the way, so I'll take his <laughs> word for it. But that seems awfully specific, unless it was from the 90s when Fauci was coming out to fight the uh, the AIDS epidemic that was going on. But I, I don't I remember don't know. that. Uh, Bocce pasta don't lie. Yeah, of course not. Dark Nook at Dark Nook Shop. Maya Rudolph portrayed Melania Trump in the short-lived TV sketch show Maya and Marty. Melania Trump is, of course, married to the man who made the nation's leading expert on infectious disease prevention, Dr. Fauci. Face palm. Yes, very well done there, Dark Nook. So efficient this week. So we had a ton of efficiency awards. Great job, everybody. We probably got to give you a harder challenge for next week. Anyway, Mike, we have uh, the David Lynch Award winner going to Mark Burgundy at the One Hanson. He said, Maya Rudolph's mother, Minnie Ripperton, sang Lovin' You, which was used in Disturbia, starring David Morse, who was in The Green Mile by Stephen King. Another Stephen King novel slash movie is Firestarter which starred Malcolm McDowell. I don't know if the Firestarter 2 is the movie he's trying to get at here. Malcolm McDowell is in A Clockwork Orange with Patrick McGee, who was in Black Cat, which was directed by Lucio Fulci, whose surname is similar to that of Anthony <laughs> Fauci. I, I like All those serious connections, and then we're ending on pronunciations. I like that. Uh, the winner this week, the final winner of March, Nolan Roberts, as he has times before at Nolan Roberts 17. Anthony Fauci won the Presidential Medal of Freedom in 2008 alongside Ben Carson, who was quoted on the DVD case for Saving Christmas, written and directed by Kirk Cameron, who several times has been made fun of on Family Guy, which had a special that satirized Star Wars created by George Lucas, who also created the animated film Strange Magic, which featured the voice talents of Maya Rudolph. Mike, have you seen Strange Magic? 
I want to. I want to see how bad that is. Uh, everybody <laughs> says it's like epically bad from George Lucas recently. But I, I love that. Uh, I love that entry because you got a medal of freedom. I mean, this was just high degree of difficulty stuff. You got a medal of freedom. You got DVD. You got uh, Kirk Cameron being satirized by Family Guy and Nolan Roberts. High, high degree of difficulty. <laughs> yes, you are the winner, Nolan Roberts, of all things bragging rights for Six Degrees of MMO. You end March on the highest of high notes, which is, of course, on a shamrock throne with shamrock shakes. Uh, I believe there were leopards attached. No, tigers attached, uh, covered That's in the right. coronavirus. How do we want to end the month with this throne, Mike? They just stay put. They just stay put and they social distance. And I'm sorry, but I think that's what we have. To do. The tigers are 15 feet away from Nolan. They're sitting on the throne. I like that. That is how we that's will right. end that throne. We will start a new throne for next week's Six Degrees of MMO Challenge. Mike, pick two and go for it. All right. We're going to go with Zima to Mark Duplass. Zima is going to be in Tiger Tail this week. Mark Duplass is the uh, star of the Creep movies. We're talking about Creep 3. Maybe I'll watch the first two Creeps before next week's MMOW. You watched them this week. So Zima to Mark Duplass, but I'm adding a degree here. Okay. You have to go through, you have to go through a tiger <laughs> of some sort. <laughs> Okay, I like it. So there the- you go. That is your six degrees of MMO challenge. Zima to Mark Dupless by way of a tiger of your choosing, of course. And uh, it could be somebody that, you know, dressed up as one or somebody that played one or voiced one. Who knows? Get creative as you always do. That'll be your challenge for six degrees of MMO next week. As far as MMO Weekly this week, that is it. And that is all. That is your look around the Hollywoods, as it were. Uh, guys, as always, we want to hear your thoughts, comments, questions, concerns about anything we talked about in this episode and anything we do here in the MMO Empire. You can leave us those at Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook, Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Instagram, at MM and Oscar on Twitter, Mike, Mike, and Oscar at gmail.com.com, and on Reddit. We are available everywhere you hear podcasts, including and especially Apple Podcasts. If you wouldn't mind, if you're listening to us during quarantine as we continue to put out this content for you, if you would take 10 seconds to leave us a five-star review, we would truly appreciate that. Michael, what is coming next from us, and what are some words of wisdom to end this on? We got Oscar stuff coming up next. We got an Oscar race checkpoint episode going over quarter one, the movies that we think it could actually contend with a special guest. But it's it's also going to be a big uh, episode on the history of release dates. I have gone through every single Best Picture nominee and winner, and I know what month they've been released in now. I'm, I'm in the process of getting those stats. I'm also going to do some more stats. So I'm really I'm in the weeds on this one, Michael. <laughs> and I'm hopefully not just going to spout numbers. I'm getting them down to a couple easy numbers for us to, to chat about with our guests. So that, that's going to be a fun episode. Then we're doing an Oscar sprint profile on never, rarely, sometimes, always. So we're Mike, Mike, and Oscar, and we're doing Oscar stuff again. So that is cool. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense that we would do that. It kind of goes with the, the name of the program here. Uh, you have done all kinds of research for that. I have done none. So I'm just going to let you lead me through the jungle, and we'll see where we end. Up. Well, it's they're, they're surprising numbers, so let, let we'll, we'll have fun talking about them. In terms of words of wisdom, though, I think this is important. Look, we really, really got a quarantine now, right? Yeah. I mean, the worst is yet, yet to come. The toughest spikes are coming. We really got to hunker down this month. So stay safe, everybody. I, I really, uh, you know, wish the best of health to all of your friends and family and we we gotta stay away now more than ever yeah stay safe and and stay away like you said Uh, stay as far away from people as you can Uh, stay healthy 
Stay safe. Stay happy. We're going to keep trying to help you out with that last one, guys. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar trying to make award season year-round without the stuffiness. When reality sucks, you can come watch a movie or talk about them during quarantine with us. Michael, we'll see you soon. See you.